0: I think that money is incredibly important, and and the making it is also very important because to make money, you have to use your brain.
1: Hi, it's Rob, and I'm here with my friend Gerald Ratner. It's always a pleasure, Rob, to see you. A thousand, we're about a thousand episodes in now, and I was just saying um, that it's been, what, probably nearly two years since we last saw each other?
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, with the lockdown, that has uh, kept us apart. Before that, we used to see each other on quite a regular basis. We did. And that's the case <laughs> with a lot of people at the moment. And the trouble is, you get used to being sort of a hermit, which mm. is not good.
1: And health-wise, everything okay, most importantly?
0: Yeah, no, uh, that's, uh, that hasn't uh, been affected at all because I'm still cycling 25 miles a day. And I've added a long walk now to my repertoire I love walking. I never used to do that. I can walk for miles. And I'm not, Maura won't let me go to the gym anymore. So I'm doing, I've got a whole sort of TRX going on at home in the drawing room,
1: um, which is quite good. So that was probably 90 seconds. And now let's talk about your famous (laughs) speech. (laughs) (laughs) Poor old Gerald can't get away from it. But I want to do something completely different. You've probably been asked the same questions a zillion times. So I actually wanted to do more of a money thing, this being the 250th episode of Money. So let's get the bad stuff out of the way. Is it true you lost half a million, sorry, half a billion in essentially capital value from your famous speech? Yeah, half a million would have been all right, (laughs) (laughs) I've got to live with that. i got my retainers in, half a billion
0: yeah i mean that was the amount that the uh, share price dropped in, in terms of what our market cap was before the speech and afterwards so it literally dropped. overnight within a day no the 500 million uh, took about two
1: weeks to, to get it to <laughs> so how did you feel when you saw the value of your companies was it your shareholding or the company's shareholding?
0: No, it was. It wasn't. Uh, it was the entire company. So it wasn't only me. I, I had quite a lot of shares, uh, and lost, you know, the vast majority of the of the value of them. But no, it was. A, I managed to lose a lot of money for a lot of people. All the shareholders uh, were hit mm. by this. Yeah, anyone who had shares in Ratners at the time.
1: So I don't know if anyone could comprehend what it feels like to have half a billion wiped off your net worth in two weeks, so could you give us a little bit of, could we learn from your pain? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I always say to somebody who's moaning that they've <laughs> just lost, uh, you know, a million quid or a couple of million quid, I said well, that's nothing, you know, compared to what I lost, you shouldn't be that upset about it, you know. Uh, And I'm still smiling, I lost half a billion, but I wasn't smiling, to be honest with you, when it happened, I mean, we're now talking, you know, 30 years ago, and uh, it was just like daggers going into my stomach. Not the money so much, it's the fact that the reason that half a billion uh, was wiped off was because nobody was coming into the shops, that was the thing that was upsetting me so much, and uh, all because of a stupid joke, you know, I'd spent... Sweated blood and tears to get that business where it was it was a loss-making business and within seven years we would taken it to 125 million profit wow. and, and heading for 200 million the brokers were going for 200 million And what was the turnover at that point? Turnover was about 1.6 billion and this was in 90 1990
1: was it this was
0: in 19 Yeah, I made the speech actually in April of 1991
1: so 1.6 billion turn over 200 ish million projected profit Mm. in 1990. What are we now, 30 odd years after that? With inflation, that must be like 5 billion now. Well,
0: it would have been over a billion profit and there isn't one retailer that is making that sort of profit. So, you know, we'd cracked America, which was very unusual for a British retailer. Um, And, you know, we were in the middle of a recession yet they were forecasting profits of 200 million against 125 million, which we'd made the day before of the speech. So everything was going fantastically well. Uh, and it was just the fact that I could understand, you know, if uh, we made bad trading decisions, but it was over a stupid joke, which I actually felt was not, well, of course it was misreported, the the, the papers were totally disingenuous, but it was my fault for giving them the ammunition. You know, they they said that all my jewellery is, that I, they quoted me as saying all my jewellery is crap, which I never ever said. I said about one item of Sherry decanter which we acquired from H. Samuel, when we bought the company. Um, and then I talked about how the, the rest of the stuff would be high quality. But, you know, if you call one of your products crap, then people assume everything you sell is crap. And no, I accept by implication, Uh, that, you know, I can understand them going for me, Uh, especially as we were then in, you know, as I said, a recession and people were losing their jobs, they couldn't pay their electricity bills, and here I was portrayed as sort of somebody making fun of them, which, Mm. of course, is not the truth.
1: Let's say something like 9-11 or Michael Jackson's death happened on that day. Do you think you would have been in the media that day?
0: Well, the... There was a lot of fuss about the poll tax, which you're too young to remember, but it was a tax introduce- <laughs> I'm not too young to, re-
1: to know about
0: tax though, but. Yeah. No, yeah, no, tell me about it. But no, uh, Margaret Thatcher, the, her one big mistake, which actually brought her down as the most successful Prime Minister we ever had, is she introduced this poll tax, which was all wrong. And they actually, it was the day that they had uh, decided to abandon it. Um, and it was actually the headlines of The Sun uh, but after my speech, they because I saw the earlier editions had that as the headline, but they removed that from the headline, right? And they put mine. Also, at the uh, Institute of Directors at the Albert Hall, where I made the speech, one of the other speakers was President de Klerk, who died yesterday, coincidentally, mm-hmm. and he announced the end of apartheid, and he talked about you know Nelson Mandela coming out of prison, and that we would be playing cricket against South Africa after this long period, which we hadn't been. I <laughs> would have thought that would have made yeah. the headlines. Mm-hmm. But n- no, it was, they. this was the headline, this was the story that they wanted. And I think to answer your question, whatever would have happened, they would have put this because they love the fact that it ticked all the boxes of uh, somebody who supposedly, you know, was very, very wealthy, uh, making fun of people who are suffering, which is their favorite topic of of headline, you know, one rule for the rich, one rule for the poor, Mm. complete and utter rubbish. Anybody knows me, as you know me, I'm totally down to earth. The last thing I have is contempt for my customers. I love my customers. Uh, But, you know, if you read it in the sun, it didn't look that way.
1: No. And they're my customers, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, I thought it was one of the worst smear campaigns ever, Mm. personally. And obviously I know you very well, so I know the truth. Um, Let's come back to that part in a minute because, like I said, I want to take you down a different angle of money-related content. Also, I don't know what episode it is, but on the Disruptive Entrepreneur, one of the... uh, In fact, you were probably one of my first five guests, would you say, Harry? So make sure you go and check out the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. Literally, in the first 30 or 50 episodes, um, Gerald's entire story is there. Um, and it's an amazing story gerald i really believe they should make a movie about your life i have actually reached out to a few people but you know you, you watch the wolf of wall street or you watch the founder or you watch succession mm-hmm. but i mean your life is really kind of a real life version of all those kind of things mixed together but go and check that episode out on the disruptive entrepreneur for now gerald i just want to know how did it how did it feel to lose Half a billion. I know you said like daggers, but um, you know, take us on that journey of how you recovered from that feeling, and then let's ask you some money related questions.
0: Well, you know, about a year before uh, I made the speech, I was on a salary of eight hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year, plus plus all the the jet that went with it, and the and all the you know flat in London or everything that you know. Expenses and everything, so um, but I and the income tax at the time was 60 percent. So I was only, if you like, only taking home 400 grand a, a year, uh, 30 years ago, with inflation. exactly, with no cop with not a lot of uh, overheads to live on because I was living in a company flat and stuff like that, although I did have a house in the country. Um, and the chancellor, Nigel. Lawson, the father of Nigella Lawson, um, announced that he's lowering the income tax, top rate of income tax from sixty percent to forty percent. I'm listening to this on the radio in the car. Didn't flinch. It was of no interest to me whatsoever. I got I didn't say, oh, hooray, you know, I've now got another quarter of a million quid. It made no difference the money. It was Why never not? about the money. Because uh, I was focused on building the largest. Jewellers in the world, which I did. Uh, I was focused on meeting brokers' forecasts because they kept upping the thing, and I was focused on, on focused on just having a successful business. The the I had enough money for what I wanted, but my main excitement was not spending money. Um, was actually you know being competitive in business, which is not particularly healthy. But you know, you should have a balance and enjoy the trappings of it and everything like that. But that wasn't me at the time. Now I'm totally different. I'm now if I get a speech that gives me four grand, I'm four grand better off, I start, you know, cheering, (laughs) uh, especially as I'm not getting it at the moment with the, uh, well, I'm beginning to get them again, but you know, for 18 months I didn't get it. And I really appreciate it. So now when I make three or four grand, I'm delighted about it, and I really, you know, think that, that puts me in a good mood. Then, to, you know, make a quarter of a million quid and didn't make a blind bit of difference.
1: And is uh, that just because you had so much, it was all contextual, or do you not appreciated money?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many ice creams you can eat in one day. You know, I went to Barbados for holidays, I went skiing. Uh, I had everything that I wanted. Uh, another quarter of a million would not have so made me go on holiday one more time or... Have anything, you know, you, mm. you, you get to a point where it's about the power, if you like, or some people say ego. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't the money side of it that didn't make a bump of difference um, until I lost a half a billion and
1: uh, <laughs> didn't have any money. Money do not make any difference until you do. Yeah, yeah, you only appreciate
0: money when you don't have it, mm. in a way, ironically, it's a bit like everything else in life.
1: Mm. So let's talk about money then, because my personal vision involves helping people on this planet get a better financial education. And I think there's some things that we're raised as children in our culture, in our religions, which I'm not sure they're that healthy. And I'd love your thoughts on it. So um, in some religion, it is quoted that either money or the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I disagree with that. I think that money is incredibly important, and uh, if you've got and if you can make money, uh, and, and the making it is also very important because to make money, you have to use your brain. And you know, we always reading about exercise, which I was talking about, and you're, you know, to help mental health and all that sort of stuff, but actually, um, using your brain and pitting your wits against the finest brains and I believe the finest brains are in commerce they're not in the uh, public sector here I am (laughs) criticizing half the population. Wait a minute let's have another hour episode on that. (laughs) I do believe that there's more risk in the private sector uh, that
1: you the public can,
0: sector's not really run like a business, is it? it? It's not run like a business. That's why we're, the NHS is in the mess it's in. But let's not go down that road. <laughs> uh, but the, the private sector is run by, by people who really are bright at the top, really sharp. Uh, Intellect like yourself, and you know what it's like. And it's not always about sort of an analysis or research, it's just seat the pants decisions, taking risks, having a gut feeling about something, but using your brain, and when you're using your brain to the full against somebody else who's doing it, a competitor uh, in the same trade as you, then you get a tremendous kick out of that. By exercising your brain, you get tremendous pleasure. And uh, that well and the only reason that people do it is to make money. so and I see people that don't have money and and you know it's a struggle and you hear about these people you listen to them on BB on the phone in saying you know well I've been cut off and I'm not getting help from the government and I'm getting this and that and what, what good does it do them? They put the phone down and that's the end of it they're back you know the you're not going to get any sympathy from anybody. You know, somebody said that uh, you tell your problems to somebody. 80% of the people are not interested, and the other 20% are pleased you've got those problems. So mm. what? You know, you there's no point in moaning about it. Um, so yeah, I'm. I, I do see the other side of the coin though, where people have made money and they don't know how to handle it. Maybe they're too young, like a footballer who's 23 and he's suddenly got a Bentley and he's driving around or you know they're buying paintings and stuff that they don't really appreciate. And they feel some sort of guilt that they've got so much, so easily, so quickly. But if you do look at somebody who's worked hard, got the rewards, that's somebody that I look up to and admire. Mm.
1: Another thing that's commonly believed about money is that we don't need billionaires and there's an unfair distribution of wealth and there should be this massive wealth tax etc what do you say to that
0: well talking about the national health there is the very wealthy bankers and people like that that are paying for it it's an amazing how few people are actually paying such a big proportion of the taxes so those people need to be encouraged because we depend on them for our services Uh, instead you know we criticize them bankers are always the target to be criticized yet they you know to make the world go round um, you do need people to generate profits otherwise you have a jeremy corbyn situation where well, you turn into a third world? If you remember him? Uh, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't work, socialism. All well, of my
1: friends were really worried at yeah. that point. Where if he was, yeah, your yeah. partner? Mark. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> he
0: was a great friend. Well, it would have been the end of the world. <laughs> it would have been because this redistribution of wealth, whenever it is applied, actually ends up with the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. But mm. you know, you need to, you need entrepreneurs. To generate profit like yourself to pay for the services. I mean, you're saying that your tax has never been higher. Uh, yeah, it's true. And neither's mine. But we are, the more we make, the better off uh, the public sector is. It's a shame that they're wasting half of
1: it. This is the problem I find, is that people think tax the rich but the rich create the products and services that serve the masses if you overly tax the rich you disincentivize production and growth cuz a lot of my friends are now saying i'm moving to cyprus mm-hmm. like they actually are saying it that's obviously you've got 20% on everything you charge on vat corp tax has gone up from 19 to 25% which is basically a third hike national insurance just went up when's income tax going up it's going up you've got business rates all these stealthy taxes then of course you've got tax on everything that you buy um anyway thank you for for that answer gerald it's not about me i I can get pissed off about it can i just
0: come back to you on that tax situation somebody once came to me an accountant and says you're selling those earrings too cheap they're 20 pounds uh, if we sell them for 25 we'll make an extra fiver. I said we won't make an extra fiver because the sales will go down if we sell them for 25. Uh, 20 pound or 19.99 that's the right price. And it's the same with tax. What the yes. governments don't understand if they put up tax just like when they put up um, capital gains tax they actually ended up just because some idiot accountant decides it's going to go up by 10%. He thinks he's got his little graph there and his paper and his balance sheet. He says, right, we're going to get 10% more. It doesn't work like that. Uh, When they put up the capital gains tax, they actually got less Mm. revenue. And with this government putting up income tax, if they do, as you say, people will disappear off to Cyprus, and they'll end up with less revenue, yeah. so it's not as simple
1: as that. No, you know? it's not. There's a tax bell curve, I've seen it. There's an optimum taxation an optimum, amount, yeah. yeah.
0: There's a guy that It's I,
1: not
0: 70%. You know, the people that are successful are people that can pitch something at the highest price, but they can pitch a house or they can pitch a car at the right, there's a guy called Arnold Clark who started off one of the biggest car businesses and one of his, I spoke to him, because I did a speech for him, one of his great virtues was he could price a car. It'd be, look at a car, nobody could do it like I mean, look at a car, know exactly what to sell it for. Mm. And accountants don't understand that. You know, one accountants once said to British Airways, if you cut out one of the chocolate biscuits that you get with your coffee, uh, if we cut down from two to one we will save £25,000 a year. Well, in fact, that was the end of British Airways luxury uh, offering because it's the thin end of the wedge. Right, and they just started
1: chopping everything else. You
0: don't even get any nuts now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gerard, what have you learned about money, making billions and losing half a billion?
0: Well, I now appreciate money (laughs) as uh, I went for a long, long period uh, without any money. Um, I had a seven-year you know, isolate, I was in isolation before it was a thing. You know, <laughs> and uh, I'd given up. And I had lost everything. And I had credit card bills. Um, and, you know, I just sort of lay in bed watching countdown. It was a miserable time. So and I, I had absolutely nothing after having all of that money, which I was describing to you, the 850000 Salary and the private jets and all that it was a bit of a culture shock to suddenly be completely wiped out Because um, I you know the shares had gone from four pound 20 to 2p and uh, I also four
1: pounds 20 to 2p. Yeah,
0: and I also on top of that had a tax bill of a million pounds So I was in I was about as badly off as anybody could possibly be uh, and uh, I then went Seven years. I, I the only thing that was keeping me sane was was uh, being fit and healthy in cycling. So I went into the health club and I made about four million quid doing that, and that was the best money that I would ever made. Simply because of the fact that I'd been I hadn't had a holiday for seven years. Uh, I didn't eat much for seven years. Uh, I had nothing to take my children out of school and stuff like that. And when I suddenly got money again, albeit nothing like the amounts that I had before, I really appreciated it. Uh, So it's just human nature, sadly. uh, That's why I say to people when I do a speech, you know, if you are successful, take a step back and pat yourself on the back, enjoy the fact that you've got a few bob in in the bank, uh, and spend it. um, Because, you know, that's the pleasure of being successful and you should enjoy it. Smell the roses while you've got that opportunity because if you do lose it, and in the uh, in the, in the private sector, you can lose it because it's, it's a risk, you know, business is all risk. The more risks you take, the better you do and vice versa. So, you know, when I didn't have any money, uh, it was pretty awful. But since I've learned that lesson now today, and I'm very careful with money, uh, and I don't throw money around and uh, you know I was going to coming here from the station I could have got an uber but I thought I'll save myself a tenner and walk um, and, and and that I, I now have respect for money simply because I lost it all and mm. I, I'm careful rather because I really don't want to go back to that situation of being skint again because it's a very unpleasant experience. Mm.
1: Thank you, Gerald. Is there something about money that you think the masses don't understand?
0: Well, I think the only thing is that I think that uh, they, you sometimes have the attitude with uh, the general public that there's one set of people that have got money and they're rich, and that's not them. They'll never be part of that. And that was the case when I was growing up as a young kid, but that's not the case anymore. There's, if anything, it's the reverse. You've got a lot of wealthy people uh, that have lost it all and a lot of young people that have made money so quickly. So, you know, it's no good saying, well, you know, that's for them and we will never be like them. You can be like them. It's not that difficult. Um, everybody is capable of being like them if you were they're not how the other half live because you can be like that Um, but one thing I would say is that if you do if you are successful and you do make a few Bob um, you do need to balance you need to have balance in your life you don't want to be a workaholic uh, where are you Funny enough, I wasn't a workaholic. I've never been a ridiculously hard worker, because I actually believe that people that are successful, it's not actually the shoe leather. I know they all, people always say that. I actually think it's just making smart decisions, and that doesn't take very long. You can spend a whole lot of time analysing something and then making the wrong decision. Uh, but then you could, you know, make the right decision in quite a short time. So I don't actually I tend to get other people to do a lot of work I've never been it's never been in my DNA to be honest with you Rob to work really hard and get up at the crack of dawn and burn the midnight or um, that's just not me Uh, and uh, you know I I don't actually really think that that is much of an existence to, be, to, to boast that, I mean, somebody came to me and they said, oh, I'm doing a 14-hour day and I can't even go on holiday with my wife and kids. Well, I don't think that's very clever. They're not really organising their life. If they can't organise two weeks off with their wife and kids, then they shouldn't be running a big business.
1: Amen to that. Yeah. Would you say that people are getting richer, younger, and there's more opportunity now because of internet and the globalisation of our customer base? Obviously, you pivoted your jewellery from physical to then online do you think that the internet and social media and maybe another metaverse do you think is this an area of business that you think can accelerate our wealth more quickly is it something you're into
0: listen i'm on the train everybody i'm looking around because i tend to look around at people i <laughs> have uh, people watch uh and everybody is not looking at me they're all looking at their phones so as long as that's the case that's where it's happening. I don't think it's a good thing in any way at all. And uh, But that is what, what everybody's doing. I'm looking at uh, a girl sitting next to me, she's got her laptop and she's got all the clothing that she's going through and she's clicking, <laughs> she's buying something for about 500 quids and clothes on the train. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of money that, and, and, you know, in a way, you know, I like tech as you do. Uh, in, but but I do find that you know it's wonderful. I mean, even coming here using, uh, I'm not quite sure where it was using Google Maps to turn me turn left. It's all brilliant. We all take it for granted, but it's absolutely fantastic compared to getting lost like I used to do when I was young, <laughs> uh, which is quite annoying. So uh, yeah, I love technology, but the only thing is that by looking at your phone all day or looking at your laptop is not a good life. I mean, somebody told me that Americans are spending 90% of their their life indoors. Wow. And I, you know, often under fluorescent light or something like that. One of the benefits that I've had during the lockdown is these long walks by the river with trees, cycling, being out, for a simple reason. And now I'm losing money. I could be making money. I could be doing more mentoring, which I have to turn down and stuff like that, because I'd have to take time to do that. But... It makes me happy. And i realise realised it would make anybody happy to be outdoors, breathe in the fresh air, and not be stuck in front of a, a phone or a laptop. Because mm. you begin to feel a bit sick doing that for too long.
1: Yeah. Amen. Now, I nicked this question. I think it's a brilliant question. I wish I'd come up with this myself, and I'm going to be borrowing it more from um, your article, your interview in This Is Money. And I'd love your answer here. If you were the Chancellor, how would you manage the budget of our government differently?
0: Well, you know, everybody turns around and says that we should be spending more on the police, more on national health. This is going to make me very unpopular, even more unpopular than I am, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway because that's the way I feel. Yeah, good. You'll never ever hear somebody say, well, oh, I think we should give the nurses less money or we should cut the budget you know, on the trains or something like that. Nobody will ever, it's always, bo- politicians are always boasting that they can spend more money. Or they, they're investing more into this and into that. Well, that's all wrong. At home, you don't boast that you can, you know, spend more money. I mean, I would like a an advertising budget for my online company, but I can't afford it. You know, the budget won't allow it. That is the way we run businesses. We don't boast that we can spend money, spend money here and spend money there. We spend, the government waste and spend too much money. Um, And and the attitude that everybody has, all the MPs, the general public, the whole time, that it's a good thing to be throwing more money at the public service, doesn't make sense to me because it's not their money, it's our money. Mm. And part of being successful, is to control your cost. Mm. Have you control the purse strings? And you know what you you look at successful people in companies, and they're the ones. The reason that these accountants are controlling the businesses because they control the purse strings, and they don't let money go out of the business left, right, and centre. Yeah. All governments do, and they seem to think it's a good thing to spend as much as possible, and that's why. You, your taxes are as high as they are, that's why uh, things you know, are tough at the moment, because we've got a debt of two and a half trillion. That isn't healthy.
1: Well, if you had a friend who was a gambling alcoholic who was going to invest in some crypto, you probably wouldn't give that person money, because you probably would perceive they couldn't manage it very well. And I think what begrudges a lot of my entrepreneurial friends is they're forced to give much of their money to the government. Let's take a company. If we, we can't trade insolvently, it's illegal. Exactly. We can't trade knowing we're trading at a loss. That's how the government are. They're trading at a, tr- if it is true, the trillion dollar deficit or pound deficit that they're in. Yet we're forced to give them more and more money. Yet it would be illegal for a private company to trade like that. So I always think there shouldn't be this divide between the billionaires and the rich and the government. The government could learn a lot about running an enterprise from the billionaires because they have to, because it's illegal not to. Where governments are disincentivized to be solvent and profitable. And I think that's half the problem.
0: No, I agree completely. We... They were talking the government about putting unions on the board uh, because they felt that it was wrong that directors were earning so much more than workers and stuff like that and that would give them a say but the problem with that is that actually you have a fiduciary duty to make a profit if you're Mm. running a company especially a public company you as a director of a public company that is the law that you have to increase Profitability. If you're a director, now if you put one of the workers on, I mean I have plenty of people that have put on the board that were managers and they worked their way up. But if you put somebody just on there to a union person to speak on behalf of them, they're not on that board to make profit. And if they're not on your, they're not on the board. Run, the people that are running a company are not there to make a profit. The company will go backwards. Mm. Tax will go down, and the government will suffer. Um, so profit is is a very good thing and it should be encouraged by governments uh not the reverse
1: mm. Mm. So. <laughs> uh, we, we will probably get so into it's... some hot water if we keep going down the government yeah, yeah. but thank you yeah. for answering that something else i'm passionate about gerald is um getting better financial education and knowledge in schools when i was at school i was taught geography in french it was called géographie. Yeah but I wasn't taught budgeting, forecasting, managing my emotions around money. I wasn't taught the laws and nature of money, the beliefs around money, the society and religion, in positions about money and what money really is. So I'm taught what an element in the periodic table is, but I'm not taught what money is. And to me, there's something wrong with that. So what, is there anything you think should be taught in schools about money that isn't?
0: Well, the thing about uh, school is, it doesn't really matter. I would disagree with you slightly on that. I know my that everybody's entitled to my yeah. opinion. No, yeah, yeah, no, everybody says, well, they've cut out domestic science, which is something that is useful because we all cook, uh, but they've stopped that. Uh, but actually, what school does to a certain degree is just train your brain. Uh, teach to, you to, to memorize. Teach you to memorize, teach mm. you to learn. So then you go out into the real world, and your brain is is receptive Ooh. to to learning and to training. Whether you've learnt English literature or why, which is a good thing. I mean, to read to to do English literature is something that you don't actually use in in the real world, but it's the best thing that you can do.
1: Sure, I mean maths, English, and many of the things. Certainly not knocking what is taught in schools, um, because I often think it's a bit common just to point fingers at the school system, mm-hmm. I think it's good if you want to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer an accountant, etc but what about if you want to be an entrepreneur What they do not teach you what money is like if, if you went to carpentry you'd learn how to use a hammer mm-hmm. and a hammer is an effective lever which puts nails in better than your hand can mm-hmm. and pulls nails out better than your hand can, it's a tool and it's a lever money is a tool and a lever but we're not taught how to use it why not?
0: Well, fun enough, I was talking to a chef uh, who owns his restaurant, and uh, he was with, at the moment, it's a big issue, obviously, um, in getting good people, good, good staff. Uh, but he actually said that he would rather take on somebody in an executive position in his restaurant business who hadn't been particularly well educated or gone to university uh, he would rather have somebody who's worked up the ranks, who put the bins out at two o'clock in the morning, get their hands dirty and learn the trade the hard way, rather than somebody who swans in from university, thinks they knows it all, knows it all, doesn't have the worth work ethic, and uh, just wants to come in at a higher echelon in the business. My best thing that I ever did uh, was work in the shop, behind the counter. I left school at 15, worked in Wood Green, uh, and I learnt the jewellery business firsthand. I knew nothing about it, but I learnt it actually being there, and I was in the shop for a long time, so when I had two and a half thousand shops, and I spoke to managers they had more respect for me because they knew that I'd been exactly where they were as a manager serving customers, whereas you've got these sort of Top accountant. I had to keep having me go. I don't mean <laughs> to, but people who are coming in, uh, you know, been headhunted from some other company, and then they were headhunted somewhere else, and they they you know got this degree and all that sort of stuff, but they never actually understood what it's all about. Is the three foot between you and the customer selling them products? Mm. That's the that's what it's all about.
1: So sales would that be something that's good to be taught in schools?
0: Sales is the most important thing. I mean, you are the great uh, salesman of all time. And, uh, well, you are, uh, you're a brilliant salesman and I admire that in you enormously because I realised that we're always selling, whatever we're we're selling now. You know, when I had my business in America, uh, I had to go out there and I had to sell it to investors. Um, not only do we have to sell jewellery in the shop, we're selling, we're telling the story of our business, we're trying to get people back in. We're always selling. That's why when uh, you get these emails or cold calls and some people get very rude and slam the phone, I don't do that. Mm. I admire those people. Okay, they're struggling, they're just trying to make a buck, but they are selling. And that is what, business, the most important thing, you know, I learnt my trade walking down Petticoat Lane in London with my father, and it was a, they were selling stuff in the market stall, and it was simply the bloke that shouted the loudest, sold the most, and it hasn't changed. (laughs) (laughs) In in his own way. Yeah. For sure. Because you certainly shout the loudest on social media. You're, You're absolutely always on right. It. You're and absolutely I don't know how right. you come up with so <laughs> many different subjects. I don't you must be lying awake at night thinking about what is can I now talk about? Because I, you I think it's talking repressed
1: about... childhood, Gerald. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, all this expression through repression as I was growing up. Anyway, Gerald, this is not about me, this is um, about you. I'm trying... Um but I agree with you. I mean a lot of um, influencers now say um, attention is currency. Yes. And if no one knows who you are, and no one can hear who you are, then you're no one.
0: You're no one. You, you know, you, you, you can't be a wallflower in business. And it goes against some people who are just genuinely shy. Mm. But you can't be that, especially not with social media, not the way it is today. If you're not big on social media, you're dead. Mm. Everyone knows that.
1: Yeah, amen. Gerald, what entrepreneur alive do you admire the most right now and why?
0: Well, I've strangely enough, um, there's these. Entrepreneurs that I won't mention them because you know I've done enough criticizing of things today. But they are like about what I would say a jack of all trades. One minute they're in that business and then they're going. They put their name onto everything like that. I don't believe that you can do that successfully. I believe that the ones that I admire are the ones that really know their trade. There's a guy called George Davis, which a lot of people haven't even heard of, who started Next. Yes, he was thrown out when the shares went down to six P, but he knew how to sell clothes. He then went on to uh, ASDA and started George, very, very competitive prices, but he knew he didn't have a lot of abilities in in management. He didn't have a lot of abilities, certainly not in finance, but he knew a uh, good his cloth. And that put him in good service, because the most important thing is in the buying, in the product. It's obvious if you're in retail, you've got the right product. He started George, that became very successful. He then left because he tends to have arguments with people. And he then went to Marks and Spencers and started Peruna. Again, for, for, You know, there's not very many people who start one successful brand like that. He did three huge, huge brands. And he's older than I am. And I phoned him up actually a few weeks ago. Uh, And his secretary said, oh he's in Austria. I said, what's he doing there? "He's in a cloth factory looking at cloth (laughs) and he's actually feeling the cloth and Understanding that he wants this cloth for his product, Mm. you know, and if you look at my office I don't have balance sheets all over the desk. I have jewelry, you know, so I admire people um, Who know their product Mm. rather than just moving balance sheets around the place. Mm. So George Davis would be the answer to that, not the obvious names that you yeah. would think I'd come up with.
1: Thank you, Gerald. Um, what do you think about cryptocurrencies? Well,
0: um, a friend of mine who's guess, sort of in the city type of thing, uh, his 19-year-old son about a couple of years ago said to him, you should buy bitcoins. Uh, and he told him that he's a complete idiot, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And this guy is a very, very bright guy, and there's nothing that he doesn't know about stocks and shares, and bonds and investment. And he's been around the block quite a few times in the city. And his 19-year-old son knew nothing, and he told him that he knew nothing. But it turned out that his 19-year-old son was absolutely right, and he had to apologise to him a year later <laughs> when they when, were when, when up 34. So sometimes you need sort of a fresh approach. You can't be... You can't look back at stats or records and say, well, it's gonna go in that direction. I was—I uh, had a pension once and um, the guy showed me why I should invest in shares. And this was about 1992 or something. And he showed me the last 15 years that share prices have gone up every single year, with the exception of 87 where we had the market collapse. But even then it recovered to only minus 7%. But every year the stock market had outperformed uh, anything, even property. So I thought, I'll invest in shares. The next 15 years, (laughs) all that shares did was nothing. They didn't repeat the previous 15 years. In fact, in about two or three years it halved. Mm. So just looking at a bleeding chart and saying well that is that chart goes like that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to carry on like that. Mm. So that's the joy of business. It's there's the uncertainty. Nobody knows. That's mm. one thing that I've learned that you whatever you expect the opposite will happen probably. Mm. That's what I like. The risk, the excitement. Mm. Should we do something
1: different? Should we do a quick 5 15 second round? Mm-hmm. So Gerald, does money make you happy? No. Why not? Because
0: I'd rather have money than not have money a million times. But you asked me whether money makes you happy. And just having the money in itself won't make you happy. You have to know how to spend it. And uh, I know somebody who bought a Picasso and they didn't even take it out of the bubble wrap. It was just left on the thing. Uh, Well, I didn't know them, but I read about them, and it's just ridiculous. They won't get any pleasure from that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, the answer to the question is on its own. No, it doesn't make you happy. I've got far less money than I had in the 80s, and I'm much happier. I know I don't look happy, that's my face, but I (laughs) am happier uh, because I know I appreciate money now.
1: All things equal, Gerald, do you think you'd be happier with or without money? All other things equal.
0: I would be happier, I was the most happy when I had just enough money and I couldn't splash it around. When I had a huge amount of money I wasn't happy, I'm not saying that this is, I'm not telling everybody this is, verbat- this is the way to go, I'm just giving you my experience. I was happier travelling on the underground than being driven around in a chauffeur-driven Bentley. Because when you drive around and everybody looks at you and thinks, oh, well, you're very important and you have to do this and you have to live up to it. When you're on the underground, you can behave any way you want to behave. You can just be yourself. Uh, you don't have to be part of that. Um, and also, simply, that if you are short of cash and you then manage to just scrape up enough, you'll really enjoy what you spend it on. You'll really enjoy that holiday much more, you know, if it really cost you a lot, means a lot to you, rather than just on the expense account going first class to Barbados or something. If you go on EasyJet to Portugal, and you know you work bloody Unless
1: it's on someone else's expense, of course. Like these people who want the private jets with the speaker fees yeah exactly
0: <laughs> exactly well i haven't got unfortunately i'm a speaker but i'm not in that league i've never if i i don't even get offered when i started doing it i was always sent business class but now that's been downgraded and gone, but i couldn't care <laughs> less
1: gerald what's the most luxurious thing you've ever bought and how much was it
0: well i bought a helicopter uh Sikorsky kelly heli- helicopter uh, for two and a half million dollars. I went down to the uh, place where they showed you the helicopters and I went up in a round robin thing, which was about half a million. Then I went up with a middle one, which was a million. but Then I went with the top Sikorski uh, seven seater or eight seater. And then my finance director said, I knew you were gonna end up with that one. Uh, and he says, well, what discount did you get? Uh, Cause it's two and a half million dollars. And it's second hand, it's not even new. And I turned around and I said, well, they prepared to throw in the cushions. <laughs> So it was completely ridiculous.
1: Gerald, would you rather have one million engaged followers on social media or one million pound cash in the hand now? And why?
0: One million pound cash in the hand now. Why? Uh, why? Because um, I always take short termism. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree that, you know, a million is will make you money and is good for business and in the long term uh, you can build on that but I when I had my health club I had one health club and I was offered four million pound for it in uh, 19 in 2001 uh, I was about to open up a second one but I just couldn't resist the four million pound then and there it, you know it was just too exciting uh, as I, especially as I didn't have any money so I always take even less If I can get it straight away. No, it's not right. Mm. Uh, You should, you know, think about the future.
1: Well, they do say one of the laws of economics is money today is always worth more than money tomorrow. Inflation, loss, etc. Well, it
0: also might not be there tomorrow. Mm.
1: What is it the they're saying about a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush? Yeah, it is. Right. This might therefore make this question redundant, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Gerald, would you rather have five million cash up front or a hundred thousand a month recurring for the rest of your life? I tried to time this based on your age, by the way. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yes, because uh, let me work that out. So that's one point. So I have to live for six years. Uh, to be in profit at the hundred thousand a year
1: four point something. I reckon 100 grand a month is 1.2 mil a year Yes,
0: so four and a half. I said five yeah. years. Yeah, five years. Mm. Uh, so I would probably live that long uh, So it would pay me to get a hundred thousand a month, but I wouldn't I take the five Because <laughs> <months. laughs> that's there now and I could spend it and that's my problem I would spend it and, I, and you know, I would spend it all
1: Gerald, what's a 15 second or less tip for having good mental strength?
0: Well, I do believe that uh, we have to disengage the brain at times because, you know, when you get like I'm in a boardroom now being fired questions, you're not always at your best because you're under pressure to perform. But when you're on your bike, when you're doing exercise and you're walking around, you get your best ideas because you know you know you know you haven't got that pressure you don't have to deliver straight away or come up with ideas so sometimes you know we're in all sitting around a table and we're discussing and we don't have a solution and I say let's all take a break I go for a walk round the block and it comes to you so i do believe that you know and it's a big issue now and i'm not taking it lightly but i do believe that um, we don't take enough breaks, we don't do enough exercise, not to lose weight or to be healthy, but actually um, to think clearly. You know, that's why when I'm in the gym, I'm not looking at the news, at Sky News. When I'm in the gym, that's my time to wind down. Mm. And I don't want to be hearing about all the problems and my tax going up and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) I want to escape from that.
1: Gerald, as far as it goes on the Money Podcast, I wanna thank you so much for being here.